Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself. Welcome to Fruit Loops episode 190. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are othered and the victims, because contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight cisgender white dudes. What? No, these crimes are rarely getting any public attention because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. That's right. She's one of the good ones and an ally. Take notes. Be like Beth. Hashtag be like Beth. <laughs> We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Emma Jean Rain, a woman who was convicted of murdering her second husband, but is suspected of murdering her first and third husbands as well. Well, I guess we're going to find out soon enough. Um, <laughs> but in the meantime, how you doing? I'm doing good. Good week okay. so far. Yeah. Great. Great. How are you doing? Well, I just quit my job <laughs> <laughs> and I did this exit interview and they're like, can you tell us why? And I was like, I have three reasons. First, you didn't pay me what I was worth. Second, you made me go into the office when I didn't want to. And third, <laughs> when I had to go into the office, it was unbearably, unreasonably cold. Um. <laughs> And the HR lady was like, you're quitting because it's too cold? <laughs> I said, <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, and so, I'm sure that was just a factor. There were other reasons. It was just part yeah. of it, but it was yeah. a big one. I mean, I was in the office with a Snuggie, a shawl, a scarf, a jacket. Come on now. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It was like in the low 60s. Oh, my God. My that is cold. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, we just had to like take it <laughs> anyway. Jeez. So I'm not dealing with that anymore. So right now I'm feeling good. My home yeah. is warm. I am well rested. I am broke, but I am very well rested. And, <laughs> yeah, I have and, a and you have a job. <laughs> you got I a do. job. I, I do. It's starting on Monday. But, yeah. but the paycheck and health insurance doesn't exactly line up as nicely as we might want it to right, this, right. this time. So yeah, I am broke, but I'm very well rested <laughs> and I have a very positive <laughs> attitude. Let's well, get for into you. some. <laughs> thank you. Some listener letters. <laughs> well, thank you, angels. Ah, <sighs> yes. What's in that bag, Beth? So I just wanted to say thank you to Shanzi56 for your five-star review. Yay! Hip-hop yeah, air horns. Thank you, Shanzi56. <laughs> and also thank you, Dre's, for your email. Oh, it was so lovely. Thank yes, you so it was. much. <laughs> And I wanted to say, please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 
six two nine four. <laughs> and we may feature it on a future episode. Well, we got a new Patreon alert. Woo! Just a reminder: Patreons get bonus content, bonus episodes, monthly video chats with us where we talk about content. Um, usually it's been documentaries, but really anything. And then merch so oh and a personalized shout out and here's a little oh, yes. sample here it is so our new patreon is nancy s and nancy this is for you nancy i ain't sorry nancy i ain't sorry nancy i ain't sorry no no hell no nancy 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 we are thankful for you nancy s thank you so much <laughs> Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Nancy. We are going to take a break now and then we'll get into the story when we come back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right. We're back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Our subject today is Emma Jean Rain, a three-time widow convicted of murdering one husband, but is suspected of murdering three. Three? I don't All know right. why I said that so joyously. <laughs> three. Well, three. it's hard. You can't say the number three without a smile. That's it's just, true. It's a good number. Yeah. Three. Oh, it's magic number. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, so now let's get into some stats. All right. So Emma Jean Rain's victims and the ones that she suspected of were her husbands. Their names are Leroy Evans, Ernest Smith, and James Rain. Rest in power, kings. Yes. Now let's get into the set. Take us there, Beth. Well, the setting is New Orleans, Louisiana. The original inhabitants of the land that New Orleans sits on were the Chitmacha or Chitimacha. Mm. The Chitimacha tribe of Louisiana is the only tribe in Louisiana to still occupy a portion of their aboriginal homeland. Mm. They currently maintain a reservation adjacent to the town of Charenton in St. Mary Parish, Louisiana. That is cool. Yeah. Also, I believe it's pronounced... Nolens. Oh yeah, Nolens. Sorry, you there. <laughs> Nolens. Louisiana is located in the southern United States, and I always remember what Louisiana looks like because it literally looks like the letter L. It does. L. Yeah. Basically, the southern half of the U.S. from Texas east to the Atlantic Ocean is the southern United States. Right. Thanks, friend. Aspects of the historical and cultural development of the South were influenced by the institution of slave labor from the early 1600s to the mid 1800s. And who's the savages? The, you mean the, the yeah. not, not the brown ones who are already there, but the ones who enslave humans? Thank yeah. you. So this includes the presence of a large proportion of Black people within the population, support for the doctrine of states' rights, and the legacy of racism. What a legacy. Oh, boy. Yeah. In addition, the region contains almost all of the Bible Belt, an area of high Christian church attendance, especially evangelical churches such as the Southern Baptist Convention. Socially conservative Protestant Christianity plays a strong role in society in this area. Yeah, but I would say the Bible Belt, when they're referring to the Bible Belt, they're referring to mostly white populations, yes. which is why I wanted to include how interesting it is to consider the Black Belt 
and how it literally sits right within the Bible Belt. Same yeah. area, just it's like being cradled. The Black Belt is being cradled by the Bible right. Belt. Same areas. And Booker T. Washington wrote, I think in his autobiography, quote, I have often been asked to define the term Black Belt and goes on to say the term was first used to designate a part of the country, as Beth said, which distinguished color of the soil. The part of the country possessing this thick, dark, and natural rich soil, which was, of course, the part of the South where slaves were most profitable. And consequently, they were taken there in the largest numbers. Later, he goes on to say the term seems to be used wholly in a political sense to designate the counties where the Black people outnumber the white people, unquote. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about the Great Migration before, but more recently, the South has seen increases of Black people moving back to the South in what is being called a new Great Migration. And you are a part of that, Wendy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Look at me <laughs> living my ancestors' wildest dreams. <laughs> Speaking of ancestry, I uh, got onto the free version of Ancestry.com. And oh, found nice. Interesting information about my oh, cool. grandfather. Oh, wow. was from Leakey, Mississippi. And I thought that was really interesting. That is now, interesting. Ancestry, give Black people free memberships, please. Thank you. <laughs> so the reason why more Black people are moving back to the South is because there's a lower cost of living. Mm -hmm. There's a growing economic base, more job opportunities. And they have a desire to reunite with Black culture. And they have kinship ties in the South. Check all those boxes for Wendy. Yeah. Yeah. So Nolens has abundant ecological resources and a convenient network of navigable rivers, bayous and bays. It's also really beautiful there. Mm -hmm. Originally claimed for the French, it became the capital of the French colony of Louisiana in 1723. But that same year, France ceded Louisiana to Spain to keep it out of the hands of the British. And for the remainder of the 1700s, Louisiana was a Spanish colony. It was during the Spanish colonial era that New Orleans transformed from a village to a city, largely due to the unpaid labor of enslaved people. In 1800, Spain gave Louisiana back to France, only to have Napoleon sell the entire Louisiana colony, including New Orleans, to the United States. Very interesting. In the mid-1800s, the highest concentration of millionaires in America could be found between New Orleans and Baton Rouge, which has a number of serial killers. I think one of which yeah. we did an episode about, Derek Todd Lee. Anyway, their wealth came largely from sugarcane plantations, which depended on the labor of thousands of enslaved Black people. New Orleans was also the nation's busiest slave marketplace mm. through the antebellum era of 1803 and 1861. And just a little American through line, how the wealth of the tippy top wealthiest people depends on the exploitation of the very bottom. Right. And right. that that's is sick. That's it's so American. It's it's yeah, I don't it's even disgusting. know what to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In May of 1862, during the Civil War, Union troops captured Confederate New Orleans and occupied the region for the remainder of the war. Afterward, a racially integrated Reconstruction-era government sought to establish civil rights for the emancipated slaves. However, mm, <laughs> after yes. Reconstruction ended in 1877, white supremacists steadily regained control and they established racial subjugation and segregation. Through violence, really. Yeah. In 1892 in Nolens, a black man named Homer Plessy refused to leave a whites-only train car, and he was arrested. The case went all the way to the Supreme Court. In 1896, the decision on Plessy versus Ferguson legally sanctioned, quote, separate but equal policies. But one of the good things that came out of this time period in New Orleans was the music. Considered one of the musical capitals of the United States, New Orleans fostered a robust ragtime and blues tradition. Mm. Have we been there together, Beth? No, I've actually never been there. What? Oh my yeah. God. We, that's I, I can't, to go. I'm furious. I am furious. We have to go together, like, and figure out a reason I'm to go. I'm thinking about, uh, I have a, a kind of a big birthday coming up in a couple of years. Oh. And I was thinking about going for, for my birthday. Oh. So we'll, we'll have to make plans. Oh, my gosh. But you hear, I mean, the music is everywhere. It's, uh, yeah. and it's, the, I mean, the whole vibe of the city is fantastic. So musicians at the time, like Jelly Roll Morton and Louis Armstrong, 
built on these blues and ragtime forms and improvised over them, which led to a brand new genre of music, jazz. The (laughs) jazz age in New Orleans also saw the rise of literary and artistic communities. New Orleans in the 1920s, the French Quarter in particular, became a literary hotspot. The city grew. New pump technology led to the draining of low-lying swampland located between the Mississippi River and Lake Pontchartrain. New levees and drainage canals meant that many residents could live below sea level. After World War II, suburbanization and conflicts over school integration led to white flight, leaving a core that was increasingly black and impoverished. The city grew as a tourist attraction. Hundreds of thousands of annual visitors are drawn to the Mardi Gras festivities and to the distinct Creole culture that includes Native American, European, and strong African and Caribbean influences. New Orleans is sometimes called the Crescent City because it's shaped like a crescent as it bends along Lake Pontchartrain. New Orleans East, sometimes called East New Orleans, is the largest section of the Crescent located north and east. You know, one of my favorite shows is those alligator hunting shows. And, oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, uh, before I realized that it was all kind of staged, I was right. like, oh, my God. Oh my it God. was so exciting to me to see them on like Pontchartrain in the P-Rolls, gators. And, you know, uh, one of the dads is like, shoot them, Clint. And I just I just love it. There's an indigenous family who hunts gators. And they always do like a ritual before they go in for the hunt. It's really cool if you're into um, learning more about Southern culture. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing I learned on social media, so don't fact check me, is that people in the South on Lake Pontchartrain and other waterways would use black babies as alligator bait. Oh, my God. I know. That's horrible. So anyway, I just... I'm curious to know what fruities think of it and if they have any evidence to support what I saw on the Internet. Anyway, New Orleans East was originally majority white, a suburb within the city. However, in the 1980s, a growing black middle class began moving into eastern New Orleans in sizable numbers. In the wake of a petroleum market crash in the mid-1980s, coinciding with the mechanization of port activity and a decline of well-paying shipping jobs, New Orleans East began to suffer from significant poverty. With increased poverty came increased crime rates and more white flight. By 2005, the population was mostly black. I'm wondering, just looking at the time, 1980s, if Ronald Riggs and his shenanigans shenanigans had anything to do with the decline of well-paying jobs. I don't know. Probably. But early in the morning of August 29th, 2005, do you remember where you were? Uh, I actually do. Yeah. Well, Hurricane Katrina struck the Gulf Coast and it was my first day of my senior year of college. And I think I've said this before. I got a full ride scholarship to HBCU in Louisiana. Oh, wow. And I didn't take it. Hmm. So that day was like, whoa, what if I had, you know? Yeah, you would have been yeah. in the area. Um, I was, my mom was in the hospital. Oh, no. So I was in the hospital. Yeah, she oh. had had a hip replacement. Oh, well, your mother's a Southern lady. Did she have any? Yeah, yeah. Did she say anything? Oh, she was very upset. Yeah. She was really upset. Yeah. yeah. We were really upset, too, because of... I didn't understand what was going on at the time, mm-hmm. and I was worried about my mom. Yeah. And I don't know if I would have been paying as much attention to it if my mom hadn't been so upset. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I'll never forget, Kanye West went on TV with Mike Myers right next to him and said, George Bush doesn't care about black people. And yeah. all the black people watching were like, Whoa! Yeah. And now we're like, we don't, we yeah. don't, we don't know him. We don't talk um, about Kanye anymore. But, right. But we all, we all were feeling it when he said it. He yeah. said, he yeah. said what we were all feeling out loud. So while the yeah. storm itself did a great deal of damage, its aftermath was catastrophic. In New Orleans, levee failures led to massive flooding and the federal government was slow very slow to respond. Yeah. Eventually, nearly 80% of the city was underwater. FEMA took days to establish operations in New Orleans and even then did not seem to have a plan of action. Officials, including President George W. Bush, Mm -hmm. seemed unaware of just how bad things were in New Orleans. Many people were left stranded with nowhere to go. Yeah. I mean, the authorities were like, okay, we're going to send buses to this place. And then they were like, oh, the buses can't make it. 
figure yeah. out how to get to the Superdome. And then the plan, I was listening to a podcast about it the other day, mm-hmm. and the plan was for these people to be at the Superdome, and then they were going to bus them out. Uh-huh. But then, you know, they couldn't use the buses. So, so <laughs> they everybody was bus stuck. Them out. Yeah. yeah and people, stuck. I mean, there were dead bodies that they were showing on TV, yeah. which was really yeah. horrifying. Exactly. Exactly. Not what we're used to seeing in, in the United States of America, just yeah. dead bodies everywhere. Yeah. yeah. At the time the storm hit, New Orleans was one of the blackest cities in America. Tens of thousands of people were trapped in the deluge for days, and over 1,500 people would eventually perish. Many evacuees never returned. Many businesses also decided not to return. And some say the city still hasn't fully recovered from the storm and its effects. Yeah. So now we're going to get into Emma Jean Rain's early life. What do you got, Beth? Well, Emma Jean Rain was born Emma Jean Judge. She's also known as Emma Evans and Emma Smith because she married a lot. Oh. (laughs) She was born to Bubba G. Judge Sr. and Emma S. Judge in Vicksburg, Mississippi in May of 1964. And I don't think we've ever covered a case where the people are so Southern. (laughs) I know. Bubba G. Judge and Sr. I really enjoy saying that name. So she came from modest means and according to some, always dreamed of being wealthy. And after she graduated from high school, she became a tax preparer. She married Leroy Evans. And Leroy is a very black name. Leroy yeah, Evans. And the couple had two <laughs> children, a son and a daughter. She ran a tax preparation business. Later, she owned a wig shop and dabbled in real estate. Mm. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Now we're going to get into the timeline because that's all we know about her early life. Right. So in 1993, when Rain was 29, her husband Leroy was hit by a car, which left him as a paraplegic. Rain took care of him for the next year until 1994 when he choked to death in his sleep. It's reported that he either choked on his feeding tube or that his feeding tube had mysteriously been removed. Whoops. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In any case, whatever happened, after Leroy died, Rain collected on his life insurance and moved with her children to New Orleans, reportedly for a new start and to distance her children from the tragic circumstances that had led up to and included their father's death. In New Orleans, Rain met Ernest Smith. Ernest was a lifelong resident of Nolens and a popular pastor at a local church. He also served in the National Guard. He had a daughter named Quentin. Ernest's parents died when he was a child and he was later adopted. Despite this, he has been described as a happy man who was always in a good mood. The couple got married and Rain was described as a perfect pastor's wife. Ernest treated Rain's two children as his own and was like a father to them. However, Rain, now a first lady of her husband's church, which is a big deal in the black church, who at the time went by Emma Smith, reportedly had a boyfriend. Uh-oh. What? She had a boyfriend. Oh, I was like, did, we, did something? Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, reportedly, she had a boyfriend named James Rain. Uh-oh. 
who was a friend of Ernest's from the National Guard. The two had served together in Iraq. Emma Rain has alleged that Smith had his own girlfriends on the side, which also, again, I've heard in church, if you want to see the devil, just look inside the church. (laughs) There he is. In 1997, Emma Rain purchased a life insurance policy on Ernest for $100,000, naming herself as the sole beneficiary. Over the years, she periodically bumped up the policy, increasing it several times between 2000 and 2005. When Katrina hit in August of 2005, the family evacuated to Arlington, Texas. Ernest found a truck driving job and Rain's two children, who were now adults, found jobs and settled in. But Rain went back to New Orleans as soon as she could because she wanted to attend to her businesses. In November of 2005, Rain increased Ernest's life insurance policy to $800,000. Whoa! In February of 2006, she changed the beneficiary, removing herself and naming James Rain and Ernest's estate as beneficiaries. And that sounds weird, but I think she did it because she wanted to point away from herself. You know? Oh, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. And thinking that she would still benefit because she named the estate and she was thinking she would inherit the estate. Right. But unbeknownst to her, under Louisiana law, this meant that half of the estate would not go to her, but it would go to Ernest Smith's daughter, Quentine. I was a little bit surprised that it was unbeknownst to her because she is a tax preparer and has to be familiar with laws and and money laws and estate stuff. And so I would think that that wouldn't be. Maybe she did know and she had a plan. I don't know. Hey, who knows? But she has a plan later. (laughs) (laughs) So after Katrina, Ernest's congregation had been spread far and wide and Ernest was in Texas. So he had no congregation to speak of. He had no flock. But a church in Atlanta gave him the opportunity to become a pastor. So he was planning on moving with Rain to Atlanta. In April of 2006, Ernest went back to New Orleans temporarily to take care of some loose ends. On April 12, 2006, Ernest, who had recently purchased a motorcycle, attended a bike night in Jefferson Parish with a friend named Ronald. Ronald took him home at around 11.15 or so. The two talked in Ronald's car for a while before Ernest got out and headed for his door while Ronald drove away. But before Ernest could get to his house, he was shot twice in the chest with a 9mm gun. Rain later reported that she'd taken some medication for a toothache and was sleeping when Ernest came home at about 11.30 p.m. She'd heard popping noises, which she thought was a car backfiring. But then she heard her husband say, Baby, I've been shot. Hmm, that's a little suspicious. Yeah, that's sus. Yeah, so she went downstairs to find her husband bleeding to death and called 911. Police found Ernest dead in the entryway of the home at the bottom of a set of stairs with a trail of blood leading to his body from outside. Two 9mm shell casings were found outside and police believed that he had been ambushed. Still recovering in the wake of Hurricane Katrina, the townhouse complex where Rain and Ernest lived in New Orleans East was mostly deserted. It was described as desolate and isolated. Perfect conditions for a murder. Yeah, but a murder with no robbery is is weird in this context. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. So the detective investigating the scene found it odd that Emma Rain didn't have any blood on her from trying to embrace or help Ernest. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. She also wasn't wearing pajamas, which they also found odd, since she claimed to have been in bed while the incident occurred. In addition, the bed was made. Police also... (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, I just sleep on top. It is hot there. Uh, So police also claim that Emma Rain showed little emotion at her husband's death. And that part of, you know, police saying she didn't act accordingly... The way that they wanted her to. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's all bullshit. But the other things... Those are some red yeah, flags. Are- <laughs> <laughs> Emma later claimed that she'd held Ernest's head in her hands, asking him what happened, but she didn't touch his bloody chest. She also said that she suspected Ronald of the crime, and since he had come back to the crime scene, she was acting cautious and closed off because she was frightened. However, according to Ronald, Rain had called him and told him that Ernest had been shot, which is why he returned to the crime scene. Interestingly, <laughs> she had also taken the time to call James Rain, but police didn't find out about that call to James Rain until years later. Under post-Katrina circumstances, the police were having trouble keeping up in New Orleans. There were no witnesses, which made developing a suspect and motive difficult. 
During this time, the police didn't have the resources to investigate cases with no obvious leads. And soon the case went cold. When Emma Rain learned that according to Louisiana law, Ernest Smith's daughter, Quentine, would automatically be the beneficiary of half of the insurance money, she got her own biological daughter to pose as Quentine and forge her signature to sign the money over to her. Wow, scammy McScammersans! (laughs) She began publicly dating James Rain, and the two married on July 10th, 2008. They settled in Poplarville, Mississippi, James's hometown, and used the life insurance money on Ernest to build a luxury house with a pool. A poplar is a tree, right? Yes. Yep. A southern tree that Billie Holiday sings about Black people swimming oh. from. No, that's during not During the... Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, strange fruit. From, yes, thank you. From the poplar trees. Reportedly, the couple also bought new cars and a boat. Wow. <laughs> I'm on a boat with T-Pain. I'm on a boat. <laughs> wow. And they had TVs in every room of the house. Oh, my God. Sign me up. And a video surveillance system with security cameras throughout. Rain even named the street that the house was built on after herself. Oh, oh my God. Emma Lane. Ah, this... Wow, what a detail. (laughs) (laughs) But they did not live happily ever after. In the summer of 2010, Ernest's daughter, Quentine, discovered the existence of her father's insurance policy Mm -hmm. and that Rain's daughter had forged her signature on an insurance document to allow her mother to collect the proceeds. The insurance carrier filed suit against the Rains. Strangely enough, the Rains filed bankruptcy the same year. Wow, that's interesting. And it's 2010, too, and I think a lot of people were actually filing for bankruptcy. That was, you know, kind of the aftermath of the financial collapse of of the United States economy. The recession, yeah. Yeah. Um, But also, insurance fraud is a crime. I think you can go to jail for, right? Okay. Yep. On October 21st, 2011, five years after Ernest's murder, Emma Rain called James's mother and asked her to check on James because she was out of town and was having trouble getting a hold of him. James's mother went to the Rain's house where she found her son dead. He'd been shot multiple times in the head, chin and neck while lying in bed. And although there were signs of forced entry, the video surveillance system had been disabled. And Emma Rain was recorded as the last person in the house. And she was seen turning off the video surveillance system on the day before the murder. Well, why on earth would she do that? Uh, So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. Emma Rain attempted to collect an insurance payout on James' death, too. But the estate of James Rain sought to disqualify Emma Rain from receiving her husband's life insurance proceeds. She then collected an insurance payout on her house in Poplarville after it burned down. What? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, this poor woman. So much tragedy. I know. (laughs) Arson was suspected, but she was able to collect anyway. She moved to Kansas City, Missouri, and 14 months after James's murder, she married a man named John Golston. Another murder, another marriage. Another marriage, yes. (laughs) The two had not known each other very long when they married in December of 2012, although John did know that Rain was a widow three times over. When asked what drew him to her, John said, quote, her honesty. She seems really nice, and she was easy with her heart, unquote. (laughs) That killed me. What a sucker. Honesty. Yeah. (laughs) In the meantime, James Raines' murder had led to the reopening of the investigation into Ernest Smith's murder. James Raines' adoptive brother, Alfred Terry Everett, had been shaken by James's death. And two days after James was killed, he confided to James's brother Enoch and two uncles that he had reason to believe that Emma was behind the murder. Terry anxiously confessed that James and Emma Rain had gotten him to kill Ernest Smith, promising $10,000 when it was done. On the night of Ernest's murder, he had driven his sister's car with his sister from Mississippi to New Orleans and parked a few blocks away from Ernest's home in the driveway of an abandoned house. He then waited outside of the townhouse complex for about an hour and a half before Ernest and another man pulled up in a car. Ernest and the man sat in the car and talked for about 15 minutes and then the man left. As Ernest was walking up to his door, Terry came from around the building, went up to Ernest and shot him twice in the chest. 
He then ran off to his sister's car in which his sister was sleeping. He'd driven back to Mississippi, throwing the 9mm handgun that he used over the bridge into Lake Pontchartrain. And although he had been told he would be given $10,000, he complained that all he ever ended up getting was a couple of old clunker cars. Wow. Wow. Not worth it. So they even scammed him. Yeah. Oh, my God. Thank you. You're right. (laughs) His relatives urged Terry Everett to do the right thing and turn himself in. They told him that they would help him. They would go with him. They would get him an attorney and do whatever they could for him. Mm. But they waited for months and months, and he never turned himself in. So they contacted a cold case detective in New Orleans. I think that is such a dilemma. Yeah, definitely. I don't know what I would do if I was in that situation with a relative right. who had done something really bad. And like this, yeah. what the right, you know, knowing what the, the right, right thing, thing to, to do. do is. But what about all the other stuff like protecting your family? And I don't know what I would do. Yeah. But they decided to contact the cold case detective in New Orleans. And on July 25th, 2013, Alfred Terry Everett was arrested in Galveston, Texas, for the murder of Ernest Smith. He reportedly cried like a baby, but did not confess. And several days later, on August 1st, police arrested Emma Rain. Goldston and Rain had only been married for about a half a year and were living in Kansas City when police showed up and arrested Rain. According to John Goldston, they initially told her that she was being arrested for fraud. But then she was transferred to New Orleans, where she faced murder charges. Mm. When she was told that it was for the murder of her husband, she asked, Which one? Huh? Whoa. I I, I wish I could have seen their faces when (laughs) she said that. And on October 7th, 2014, Rain was also indicted for bankruptcy and tax fraud. No, 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 no. Those are good. To which she pleaded not guilty. It was alleged that she filed false income tax benefits on returns for clients and herself and that she intentionally devised a scheme to defraud the government through fraudulent bankruptcy petitions three times between October 29th and January 2010. That's a lot of bankruptcies in a very short amount of time, don't you think? Yeah, it is. Wow. But it's October 2009. Oh, October 2009 and January 2010. That's not that long. That's like a little over a year. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Wait, it's not even. Yeah. It's not even. It's just a few months. Okay, and that's a lot. And this has been <laughs> Calendar Corner with Wendy and Beth. Yeah. Don't attend Calendar Corner. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> We're really bad at what it. What is time? What is it anyway? Who knows? Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Now we're going to get into the trial. Hit it, Beth. During Terry Everett's trial, his foster brother, Enoch Rain, and two uncles, William and Henry Fowler, all testified that Everett admitted to killing Smith. Enoch had a really hard time testifying. Mm, It broke his heart that he had to testify against his foster brother, but it felt like the right thing to do. And in December 2014, after a three-day trial, which is not much for a murder trial. Yeah, it's pretty short. Three days, yeah. Everett was found guilty of second-degree murder. He was sentenced to life in prison. After turning down a plea deal for 35 years in exchange for pleading guilty to manslaughter, Emma Rain, at 52 years old, stood trial for second-degree murder between August 9th and August 12th, 2016. Also very short. Again, what's with these short trials? What's happening here? So Terry Everett, who was appealing his murder conviction, was brought into court to testify. Although he was granted immunity, he refused to even approach the witness stand. He then repeatedly refused to answer the prosecutor's questions after the judge allowed the prosecutor to ask them from across the courtroom. That's wild. He must have been really afraid of Emma. Don't you think? Um, I think 
so he was appealing his murder conviction. Mm -hmm. I think he didn't want to say anything to jeopardize that. Oh, I thought he was afraid of facing Emma Jean Rain. Could be. Could be that, too. I don't know. I was just guessing. It's all just a big, fat guessing game. Yeah, yeah. it's all speculation. (laughs) Welcome to Speculation Speculation Corner. Corner. (laughs) We're your hosts, Wendy and Bev. (laughs) But because he refused to testify, his family members were allowed to testify, a situation that would normally be considered hearsay. The jury also heard about how Rain had gotten her daughter to commit fraud for her when she pretended to be Ernest's daughter to sign over the insurance money. Her daughter had already pleaded guilty to conspiracy and forgery and had been sentenced to 10 years probation. Wow. I mean, so many people she's dragging down with her. I know, right? Yeah. Prosecutors were not allowed to bring up the death of her first husband, Leroy Evans, but they were allowed to bring up the mysterious circumstances surrounding James Rain's murder. Emma Rain's attorney noted that she'd never been charged or publicly named as a suspect in James Rain's killing. He also described Ernest Smith as a philandering pastor without a church. <laughs> he didn't have a church because of... A hurricane blew it away. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what the fuck? Anyway, oh, Ernest's errant ways, he argued, gave James Rain an opening to manipulate Emma's passions and convince her to alter Ernest's insurance policy. Then, without her knowledge, James Rain, who he called James the Snake, plotted with Terry Everett to kill her husband. Wow. As evidence, her attorney pointed out that Everett complained that all he got for the killing was a pair of clunker cars, boo-hoo, which pointed to Emma Rain's ignorance of the murder plot, saying, quote, If Emma thought in any way she was responsible, she would have gave him the $10,000. She could have taken it out of her cookie jar. Emma did not hire him. Emma did not ask him to do anything, unquote. But Emma Rain was found guilty of second-degree murder, and on October 21st, 2016, she was sentenced to life in prison without parole. The following month, she pleaded guilty to failing to report her taxable income for the years 2010 and 2011 and for filing false tax returns for clients during the years of 2008 to 2010. Golly, that is so much bad stuff. Yeah. In like one. Wow. For one human. I know she dreamt of being wealthy when she was little, but boy, oh boy, she really went overboard. So now we're going to get into where are they now? Well, Emma Rain has never been charged for the death of James Rain or Leroy Evans. At the time of Rain's trial, her fourth husband, John Golston, supported her innocence and argued against her conviction for murder. He nearly bankrupted himself to pay for his wife's defense, but he eventually filed for divorce. Another life ruined. Yes. Yeah. Wow. What's the body count on this woman? Three? Yeah, I didn't count, but it's a lot. Yeah. Alfred Terry Everett is currently incarcerated in the Louisiana State Penitentiary. He's 38. So he's he's actually pretty young. I think he was around 21 when he committed the murder. That is. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Rain is incarcerated in the Louisiana Department of Corrections, and she is 58 years old. Isn't the Louisiana State Penitentiary Angola? Am I wrong? I don't know. Uh, it could be. I, I don't know. But it just, when I looked it up, that's what it said. Louisiana State Penitentiary. And for Rain, it said Louisiana Department of Corrections. There was no, like, fancy name or anything. Well, the reason I bring it up is Angola is a famous prison in the United right. States. It is the right. Louisiana State Penitentiary. And it used oh, to it be is. a plantation. Okay. And I believe that, obviously, there are a lot more Black men incarcerated there, but they are forced to do, like, manual labor. labor. Yeah. Yeah. I think they were both sentenced to hard labor. Whoa. Okay. So, nearly six years after his death, James Rain's life insurance policy carrier filed a lawsuit to determine the rightful beneficiary of his life insurance payout. In 2018, ruling in favor of Emma Rain, the court noted that, quote, While it may be suspiciously coincidental that Emma Rain's second husband was shot and killed, that she was convicted for her role in that murder and that she collected, they just keep going, she collected life insurance money without more. The estate has nothing more than mere speculation at this point. (laughs) What? Are you guys serious? Anyway, unquote, that she killed James Rain. So the court awarded her $248,806 
which was reduced by a pre-existing tax liability to $154,599. So she's balling in jail. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ramen packets are on me, ladies. So now we're going to get into what we think made her snap as well as our takeaways. What are your thoughts, Beth? So I don't know if she had anything to do with her first husband's death or not. Okay. There's a lot of speculation that she was behind the whole thing, that she even got someone to run him over. And I don't know if that's true or not, Okay, uh, but my speculation is that it's not true. Just my opinion. Mm, okay, um, okay. And the reason why I think that is because he was run over and then he was paraplegic for an entire year. Yeah. And she took care of him. So I would think that she would have done it sooner. <laughs> <laughs> it, she would have killed him sooner if uh, that was the whole plan. Ah, I see. I do think that she might have had something to do with his subsequent death a year afterwards. You mean the feeding tube incident? Yeah, the feeding tube incident. Although even if she didn't, I think it was the catalyst for the murders of her second and third husbands. I think it was a way out mm -hmm. when she got tired of them. Mm -hmm. It happened the first time her husband died. Her troubles were over and she got money. So uh, mm -hmm. she did it again and again. And why not? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it worked the first time. Exactly. <laughs> it's clear that she's somewhat of a scammer. Yeah. She was guilty of tax fraud and she got her own daughter to pretend to be someone else and forge a signature. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if she's a psychopath or what, oh. but it takes a special kind of person to be able to use your own child like that yeah, and to murder someone or have someone murdered that you know and once supposedly loved. I mean, even, right? even though they were married, I mean, sometimes people like end up hating each other, but still, I mean, I got <laughs> divorced. I, I wouldn't, I would never have killed him. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up. So I think that she's responsible for all of them. Right. In some way. And I think she did all of them for the money. And then she saw these men as obstacles. Right. And she, right. To her dream of being wealthy or, yeah. you know, or if they got on I her I think nerves. they were fun at first and yes. then they became a, a drag. So she wanted to get rid of them. <laughs> a drag. A yeah. drag. <laughs> and then you're right. Her body count, not just in the deaths of people, but the boyfriend she brought down, her kid, one of her kids had a charge. Her kids yeah. lost their father. Her current husband lost his marriage to her and all of his money there's just a lot of people and families that were affected by whatever she had going on. And yeah. it wasn't good. No, it wasn't. Good. <laughs> it wasn't good. And uh, her methods, I think, are unusual for women because my understanding is that most black widows, human ones, spider black widows are very violent, but human black widows don't unalive their spouses in such like violent ways. Yeah. It's usually like poison or exactly. something. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know if she could have pulled any of it off without help. So yeah, I also just wanted to comment on the climate post Katrina. There's a lot of sympathy afforded to law enforcement who had a hard time keeping on top of crime and cases like the ones we talked about today went cold. And right. we've said this before that crime is subjective. And because the only people like at the time, there was a lot of looting and crime and violence reported by the news. But the only people they were reporting who were doing those things were black people and poor people who were literally just trying to survive. They were trying to survive. Yeah. So that one podcast I was talking about earlier about Katrina, mm -hmm. they were talking about how... Was it Fall Lines? No. Oh. I forget what it was. Sorry. That's a good one about the aftermath. It was just an episode okay. of a podcast. And they were talking about how... This family was going to get some food because they didn't have any. So they were looking for food uh -huh. and they were attacked by some cops <gasps> who killed a bunch of them. Oh, my like, God. Straight up killed them. Whoa. And there were children. <gasps> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that is that's one story on one podcast, but I would not be surprised if that happened more. Oh, there was another story too about oh, cops just, wilding out. Yeah, and I've also heard stories of like everyone was overwhelmed and in hospitals right. nurses like just ending people's lives. Oh, that was that that TV show. There was a TV show 5 Days at Memorial, I think it was called. Yeah. 
But, you know, it was a disaster, right? And if you put yourselves in their shoes, if your loved one needed food or medicine or a disaster, and I'm really just speaking about the people who were what they say was was looting and really just looking for resources so they didn't die. If your loved one needed food or medicine after a disaster and you couldn't get it, what lengths would you go to to get those things? You can't imagine Mm -hmm. how you would feel and what you would do in that situation because you're not in that situation. Right, right. And that TV show, it was like, I forget how many episodes there were, but it was on Apple TV Plus. So five days at Memorial, it was about a hospital. And at first, you know, the people at the hospital are like, oh, we'll just weather through this. Mm -hmm. It'll be no problem. Mm -hmm. And then it got really, really bad. And Mm -hmm. it's five days at this hospital, just five days. But the things that happen in those five days, it's you don't know what you would do. Yeah. Yeah, You don't know what you would do in that situation. Yeah. So I have empathy for the people who were doing their best. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then, so she was convicted of Ernest's murder. And Ernest, remember, was the pastor. Right. And this all was in the Bible Belt, right? And I Mm -hmm. think that the fact that he was a pastor in the Bible Belt played into the pursuit and conviction for his death. Could be. Yeah, yeah. Just a thought. Yeah. So now, anything else, Fred? What a great discussion. What a healthy, (laughs) robust discussion. So now we are going to get into how not to get murdered. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. So I got these tips from Dr. Cleland on a Medium post. Oh, okay. And she had great tips, like a whole article full of tips. Like, wow, don't unlock more than one door of your car at a time and learn how to escape from your trunk. But she took it a step further, saying that and this kind of relates to Emma Jean Rain's case, that murder, violence, sexual violence, violence against vulnerable people is usually done by people we know, yeah. people we live with, people we work with, people in our communities. It's not done by strangers. Yeah. So until society and culture changes, to keep that from happening, we should think about the problem of surviving and escaping violence for all genders. And I just wanted to shout out a couple resources for surviving, escaping, and advocating for victims of violence. So there's the hotline.org. And then I would suggest before you go to an authority like HR, if there's fuckery at work to report a person or something at school or in your community, like a sexual assault or something like that, because we know that society is trash and it's going to be an uphill battle. Right. Find an advocate to help you address the situation. Oh, good idea. And there's a few places, like I said, the hotline.org. I found workplacesrespond.org slash role slash advocate. And then there's 1-800-799-SAFE that can connect folks with resources who want to learn more and help. Because the problem is so big (laughs) that anything you do to help this cultural and societal issue will help. So that's my Awesome. Thank you. Now it's shout out time where we shout out any content by people of color, any marginalized, minoritized folks, or any true crime goodies. Boy, oh boy, I've been dying to tell you about this one. (laughs) Swarm on Amazon. Have you watched it yet? I did. I did watch it. I watched it over the weekend. It was great. It was amazing. So Donald Glover, who we love here, um, created the show. And there were people in it who I didn't realize until looking at the the memes on Black Twitter. Paris Jackson, Michael Jackson's daughter is in it. She's great. Malia Obama, yeah, is a writer. Yeah, that Obama. Malia Obama is a writer. Damson Idris. (laughs) Fahayin. Hi, Damson. Uh, (laughs) Chloe Bailey, the Black Little Mermaid are all involved in this. And it is so good. Basically, it's about a Beyonce-like celebrity stan, a super fan, who basically murders everybody who doesn't love her music. (laughs) It's just... (laughs) I mean, I, oh, I'm going to have to watch it again. Anyway, next thing is, um, this is a book shout out from a listener on Instagram, Allison, and it's called Night Crawling. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's also on Oprah's book club this month, I think. 
And it's by an author named Layla Motley. And it's based on a true story. It's about multiple Oakland police officers who sexually abuse a teenage girl. And actually, this did happen in Oakland. And the Oakland Police Department had to pay one girl like a million dollars. Wow. So it's from the perspective of this young Black girl from the Bay and her experience as a young Black girl in her family, in society, in poverty. And then it's wherever you get books. And the last thing I wanted to shout out was, remember our listener, Monica? Yeah. Who She was like, I have a cleaning business. Yeah. So yeah. I just wanted to shout out Monica, M-O-N-I-C-K-A's cleaning service in Huntsville, Alabama. All right. That's Monica's cleaning service in Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah. yeah. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you got, Beth? So this one's an old one. And I don't know if I've shouted it out before, but I'm going to do it again. Okay. It's a movie called Trouble the Water, a documentary about a couple who survived Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of archival footage by the documentarians and the couple on the ground during the storm and the aftermath. And it's (gasps) it's really good. Oh, my God. Ninety six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. Yeah. Um, Where did you watch it? I don't remember. I watched it a long time ago. Okay, But it's always haunted me. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. Um, What else? Nobody Should Believe Me podcast. This is a (gasps) true crime goodie. It's about Munchausen by proxy abuse. Ooh, okay. So check that out. And then real quick, Yellow Jackets is back on March 26th. I'm so excited. I love (laughs) that show. (laughs) All right. So those uh, swarm on Amazon. Night Crawling, a book by Layla Motley, wherever you get books. It's also available on audio. And uh, Monica's Cleaning Service in Huntsville, Alabama, our listener who has a business. And a documentary called Trouble the Water, as well as a podcast, a true crime goodie, called Nobody Should Believe Me, wherever you get podcasts and Yellow Jackets on Showtime. Um, <laughs> should be out by the time this episode airs. By the time this airs, yeah. yeah. So, oh no. Uh, it looks like we're at the end. Yep. Uh, I'm not happy about it. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, until next time, Beth, where can the people find us? Our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors or by giving us a five-star review. Yeah. Now, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, (laughs) look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. Okay, back to it, back to it, back to it. All right. <laughs> I'm on a boat with T Pain. I'm on a boat. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Don't attend calendar corner. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. What? She had a boyfriend. What an asshole. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Welcome to Speculation, Speculation Corner. Corner. <laughs> We're your hosts, Wendy and Bev. <laughs> Spider Black Widows are very violent. <laughs> Three, oh, it's magic number. <laughs> yeah, it is. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Maholovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows.